Thank you for listening to Bishop Chronicles. Bishop Chronicles is a podcast on stoic resilience and the art of not quitting. Now, here's your host, Adisa the Bishop. Peace. It's time to highlight a scholar. I'm your host, Adisa the Bishop. Thank you for listening to Bishop Chronicles. Um, supremely, supremely um, humbled and uh, super grateful for all the feedback from the, from the first of the new format, right? Where we cover stoic resilience and the art of not quitting. I got to tell you, we weren't expecting that kind of response. Am I right, Mike? Mike is nodding yes on the other side of the glass. So, you know, we're just really grateful for those that really enjoyed the, you know, KRS tried to fight me at Stanford University episode. And um, real quick, I just want to shout out a student of BJJ at BJJ.wiki and at thehumblesavage.co, a stoic clothing line for their support for the first of the new format. Okay. You should follow all of them. They're dope. A stoic clothing line? Yeah, I'm rocking it. Anyway, um, thank you. So we're going to go straight into it, right? We're going to go straight into it. And so this whole situation for this show starts on July 8th when I'm at the beach and I see, you know, I normally jog on the beach in the morning and uh, I got really addicted to it over the last few months. I normally have never jogged. I hated jogging. And until the pandemic, I didn't jog at all. But once they shut down all the jujitsu schools during lockdown, I had to run. I had to, I had to burn off energy. So I started running and I ended up loving it. So now I jog at the beach pretty much every morning. And I went ahead to get my jog on. And after the jog, I'll just kind of walk and think. And I see this bird. And this bird is wholly dismembered. I don't know what happened to this bird. I don't know if it was attacked, if it got hit by something. I don't know. But it was partially decayed, you know, meat mixed in with the bone fragments and feathers. And even though it was gruesome, I wanted to take a picture of it. I don't know. What is that? Why do people do that? Anyway, I went to go reach for my phone and literally by the time I could pull my phone up to start punching in my passcode to take the picture a small like two inch wave came up on the sand, pulled it straight out. And so I was like, okay, well, the next wave will push it back and then I'll, I'll get, you know, my chance to take the shot. But that other wave never came. I watched it float. I watched it slowly sink into the infinite void of the ocean and it never came back. And then I looked at the sand where I thought the bird had been and it was smooth and shiny and beautiful. It looked as if the bird was never there. Now I'm unsure of exactly where it was and I knew the bird was right there. And I looked back at the ocean and I said, life is like this moment. I thought of how expansive the ocean is. I thought 
of how expansive the sky above it is and the galaxy and the universe beyond my sight. And it reminded me of the section from the Holy Quran that says, he brings the living from the dead and he brings forth the dead from the living and he gives life to the earth and after its death and in like manner shall you be brought forth. That reminded me of something Marcus Aurelius said, who wrote the book Meditations. You should all cop Meditations today and read it. And if you have a, a child over the age of 13, you should have them read it. Marcus Aurelius wrote, Accept death in a cheerful spirit as nothing but the dissolution of the elements from which each living thing is composed. If it doesn't hurt the individual elements to change continually into one another, why are people afraid of all of them changing and separating? It's a natural thing, and nothing natural is evil. While I was standing there, I wrote a haiku. A haiku is a Japanese poem of five syllables, seven syllables, and five syllables. And I have a whole book that I wrote while in Europe uh, of haikus. Um, and this is a haiku about that bird in that moment. By the way, haikus don't have to rhyme if you've never heard them before. The bird's corpse was there. Then the wave came and took it back into the void. The bird's corpse was there. Then the wave came and took it back into the void. And, you know, that led me to a story by Miyamoto Musashi. It's not by him, it's about him. Miyamoto Musashi, if you don't know, was a Japanese swordsman who was the author of the Book of Five Rings. Everyone should have that book as well. Many business people and strategy professors swear by this book. He was a swordsman. He was self-taught, which is known as a ronin. He was a self-taught swordsman, and he had 60 duels and never lost one of them. He's probably, unquestionably, the greatest swordsman that Japan ever had. Uh, the author Ichi Yoshikawa wrote a book called Musashi, a massive novel, my favorite novel ever. I have nothing to compare to it. Um, that's my favorite novel ever. And um, because of that novel, a lot of people think that that was his actual life, but it wasn't. Very little is known about his life, but there is a book called The Real Musashi by a guy named William DeLange, D-E-L-A-N-G-E, -E, okay? The Real Musashi. And in it, they talk about Musashi's first duel at the age of about 12 or 13, the first time he killed a man in a sword fight. Let's take a look at this story. So as it so happens, Musashi was born to a swordsman named Munisai, by his second wife, Yoshiko. And apparently Musashi, who was known as Benosaki as a young boy, did not get along well with his father. And so his father kicked him out. Pops kicked him out. And so 
one day a Shinto swordsman is something he's kind of a religious swordsman. It's gonna be the short version. A religious swordsman. Um came to his town where he was staying with his uncle, and he put up a sign that said, you know, uh, he roped off an area and was like, if you want to come through and have a sword match, you should do it. And so leave your name and what time you plan to come through. And Musashi did this at 13 years old. So his uncle finds out uh, that, you know, this is happening because a messenger came and was like, all right, so you guys are set up for the duel tomorrow. His uncle's like, yo, man, no, no. So he goes to the messenger and he's like, look, man, you know, can you uh, let this slide? Because this is a kid. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's going to get himself killed. And so the messenger was like, all right, uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk to him and see what's up. You know what I mean? Why don't you bring him tomorrow? Right. And, you know, we'll get everything square. And if he apologizes to the swordsman, everything will be cool. Because it's not cool for a youngster to be running pranks, right? You know what I mean? And everybody can just kind of squash it. So he said, bring the child along tomorrow. So, you know, his uncle woke him up and was like, come on, man. We going over there and you're, you're making stuff hard for me, okay? But I'm going to go talk to this guy and we're going to get you out of this. But you're pissing me off, so walk behind me. So, young Musashi walked far behind his uncle. And it said, Benosaki was carrying only a short wakizashi, which I don't know what that is right now, and I feel shame because of it. And spotting a pile of kindling wood under the floor of his uncle's house, he drew from it a pliable stick of some two yards which he used as a walking cane as he followed his uncle, who was now out of sight. When they came to the enclosure, the monk had laid his hands on the fence and petitioned the swordsman, saying, Master Kihei, I repeat the words I spoke to you about last night. Please forgive the fledgling over there. But even as his uncle spoke, Benusaki, that's Musashi, pushed open the fence and called out, Are you Kihei? That's the swordsman. Well, let's duel. Upon which he ran up to Kihei and struck him with the cane. Kihei now rose and drew his sword and struck out at the young boy. Yet, as Benasaki had run up straight to him, Kihei had struck at the moment he had stood up from his camp stool, and both were too close to inflict any wounds on the other, and they remained locked in an embrace. They have their sword, sword to sword, wrist to wrist, with their hands above their shoulders. Pay attention to the strategy here. Benosaki now suddenly dropped his cane, ducked to the floor, put his shoulders under his opponent and toppled him headfirst to the floor. Then he picked up the cane again and killed Kihei with a succession of 14 to 15 blows. An age seemed to pass before the spell that had descended on those who had gathered finally lifted. Afterwards... Benasaki thought, as long as I rush in and strike at the enemy, ready to lay down my life, I need no preparation whatsoever to conquer an enemy. Taking this to heart, he left his uncle from the age of 13 to the age of 29, traveled the length and breadth of Japan, but among the 60 or more opponents who met with him in a duel, not one was able 
to conquer Musashi. Thus it is written in the Earth Scroll of the Book of Five Rings. Don't sleep on the Book of Five Rings. But what are we really talking about? We're talking about death, but we're specifically talking about this stoic concept called memento mori. Remember death. Memento mori. Remember, you must die. My homework for you is to go to YouTube and pull up Seneca. S-E-N-E-C-A. Seneca. On the shortness of life. It's an amazing short lecture by the philosopher about the shortness of life, but not in the way that you think. It's about how we waste so much of our time on this earth in the different ways. He lists all the different ways that we waste time. And even now more with cell phones and the internet and Instagram and, and, and TikTok and all this other stuff and Facebook, which I am on all, you know what I'm saying? Holla. Um, that we waste our own time, though. And we undercut ourselves. And then when the moment of death appears, we cry. We say we didn't get enough time. We say we didn't get enough uh, uh, time to do A, B or C. The idea of memento mori isn't here to make you afraid of death. And it's not here to make you feel ashamed about the time you've already wasted on this earth, not being your best, highest, truest self. It's about gratitude. It's about taking today's moment, the only moment you are sure of, and doing the best thing with it. Let me tell you another story. In 2019, I was on a BART train and there was this overweight dude sitting a couple rows back and he's snoring and I'm trying to read and he's irritating me and I'm trying to figure it out. And I'm just kind of focused on myself, doing whatever I'm doing. And eventually I see the situation. Looks like this dude's getting beat up by this other guy, but he's not getting beat up. The guy standing over him is trying to give him CPR while he's in the chair. The dude was having a heart attack. Then another woman jumps up and she's, she's a doctor. She's with a student. They're trying to get him, but he's so big. He's like 300 pounds. They're like, yo, we got to get him out of this chair. So they're like, will you help? So I get up. I help pick this dude up, take him out the chair. I start giving him CPR. He's got bubbling foam coming out of his mouth and I'm talking to him. I'm saying, yo, how are you, man? Like, like, stay with me. Don't give up. Come on, man. You got to stay with me. They get the train to like 12th Street, Oakland. They kick everybody off, including me. The EMTs come. He was dead. They pick the guy up. They put him on the gurney. It's a hot day, especially at the bottom of 12th Street. It smells horrible. Everybody gets on. They take the body off. And we go. I'm looking at this chair where this guy was and I'm like, yo, where was he headed? I mean, I just got off work. Like there's someone waiting for him at home. Probably he's, he's not going to come there for dinner. There's someone he was supposed to call someone who was supposed to call him. Maybe his kids, he was supposed to take his kids to the game, supposed to take his wife out. 
to Vegas or L.A. or the beach. Did his kids know that he loved him? Did he tell him? These are the things that's going through my head. And then we get to the next stop. And a woman gets on with her like two, three-year-old son. And they get in the chair. And I'm just like, you know, no one is telling this woman that she's sitting in the seat of a guy that just died. The door's closed. The train moves. And that, my dear friends, is real life. Memento mori. Remember death. Be grateful for this moment. Don't be trapped by the past or your past. And don't get wrapped up in a future you can't control. Take control of now to the best of your ability. And always remember that no matter what you think your options are, I almost guarantee you, there's one more or two more that you haven't considered. Where is your gratitude for the breath you are taking right now? How do you express it? Do you have a book or a script to finish? You got a skill you want to learn or teach? Do you have a family member you really need to make things right with? Is there somebody in the mirror that you have to be truer to or you got that sick business proposal sitting half done in the clouds in that drive waiting for you to breathe life into it but you ain't got to it yet because you think you got time do it now not because I'm telling you to but because tomorrow is actually factually not promised there's a lot of people who got up yesterday, but they didn't get up today. They didn't get up. Call those people you love, write those people you love, share your love and your peace and your fondness for them without expectation. If you hit them up and they don't hit you back, don't be like, see, that's why I shouldn't have even wrote your punk ass. Cause you don't hit nobody back. That's why people don't like you, bruh. That's not the point. You reach out because that's what you need to do for you. And it's the right thing to do. Don't move right now and get all shaken up and move from a place of fear. Move rooted in gratitude and love. Seneca said, let us prepare our minds as if we'd come to the very end of life. Let us postpone nothing. Let us balance life's books each day. The one who puts the finishing touches on their life each day is never short of time. If you're interested in the idea of Memento Mori, uh, one of the first people that I learned about this idea from, um, I'm blanking on his name right now, but on YouTube, he's called The Realized Man. The Realized Man. And uh, you should sit and think about your life, what you want to do with it, who you want in it, 
and why and how you're going to create today the best life for yourself that you can if for any other reason than you know today is all you have. If you want to learn more about Stoic philosophy, this idea, and others close to the Stoic path, I encourage you to get the book Obstacle as the Way by Ryan Holiday. Get it on Audible. You know what I'm saying? Um, I thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, please send it to one or two people that you think would benefit from it. Um, and I want to give a final shout out and thanks to the incomparable Tembisa M. Shaka at official lip game on Instagram for the voice talent. She's amazing. Follow her today. Work with her today. Embrace your day, this day, this moment with gratitude. Thank you for listening. This is Bishop Chronicles. Thank you for listening to Bishop Chronicles. Please remember to subscribe, like, and comment via whatever platform you use to experience the podcast. We invite you to follow us at Bishop Chronicles on Instagram. Until next time, peace. Peace.